Welcome everyone. I am Andrew Duckworth and I would like to thank you for joining us for our special series of BJJ podcasts on the COVID-19 pandemic. As we all know, the impact of the pandemic is being felt throughout the world and without doubt will have affected every aspect of our professional and personal lives. Through these series of podcasts, we hope to reflect on the main issues that have arisen as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic for us in trauma and orthopedic surgery, as well as the medical profession as a whole. We hope to give you insights from colleagues throughout the UK, as well as from across the globe, including hearing from colleagues working in some of the worst affected areas. We also feel it's an opportunity to discuss the future in terms of both the recovery phase following the pandemic and what we can hopefully anticipate when the worst of it is hopefully over. So today I have the pleasure of being joined by Associate Professor Andrew Shimon, who is an orthopedic surgeon and director of the Research Foundation for the Melbourne Orthopedic Group in Victoria, Australia. Many thanks, Andrew, for taking the time to join us today. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, Andrew, if we um, look at, first of all, uh, in Australia, uh, the general overall impacts, if you could start by giving us a general overview of the impact of the COVID crisis so far on your healthcare system, both in terms of your service provision and the potential consequences you are, I suppose, seeing or anticipating moving forward. Well, Andrew, look, I think Australia's very, in terms of orthopaedic surgery, Australia's very similar to the UK at the moment. You know, orthopaedic surgeons, uh, certainly in, in involved in elective surgery, have been, you know, fairly bluntly told just get out of the way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we can't be using any uh, equipments, PPE, etc., uh, that might be used. There's no doubt that we've been asked to prepare for a significant impact on both our private and our and our public health system. That said, uh, you know, we'll no doubt get to talk about some numbers. We, we have a, you know, very small numbers of infected cases um, in Australia, fortunately, and these numbers seem to be dropping. In terms of orthopedics, no elective surgery happening at the moment, aside from, you know, what's called category one uh, type surgery, uh, you know, that obviously includes trauma surgery. Mm -hmm. Uh, Interestingly, the amount of trauma has changed, but we'll get to that, I'm sure, Andrew, in later questions. But Summary, yet very similar. The public has been asked to behave um, like the English public in terms of stay at home and don't go out unless you need to go to the shops, go to your essential work or go to see a doctor. It's pretty much stay at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in general, the community has been very, very, uh, uh, in general, it is very uh, cooperative with regards to that. Yeah, yeah. You, may, you sort of allude to the figures there. What, what are the current figures in Australia at the moment, Andrew? Well, the, the total number of positive tests in Australia is uh, 6,015, and that was this morning's data. So, you know, compared to to the UK, tiny numbers of cases. Mm. Um, and numbers of deaths in the whole of Australia has been 50 through this whole uh, pandemic. And you know, when you compare that to what we hear from the UK, it's, it's staggeringly small. Uh, you know, um, no one really knows the reasons by that. Obviously, we're a big island, and, and that kind of helps. We've controlled our borders fairly fairly comprehensively two or three weeks ago. And the other thing is we've we managed to keep it out of uh, nursing homes and, and, and you know, well, places where the elderly exist. Uh, and there's some very strict visiting rules that have been put uh, in terms of visiting homes for the elderly. So I think, you know, that and in addition to the fact that, you know, we don't live in crowded high-rise cities that much. We're pretty uh, open plan living. Um, you know, all of those things I think can contribute, and, and and smoking is pretty pretty uncommon in Australia. You know, that would be the, you know, I think the summary of why we're different to, to other parts of the world. That's that's really interesting, isn't it? I think it's like you said, there's a variety of factors there 
um, about why those numbers are just maybe not quite where, like you say, the UK and, and the rest of the world is. Uh, do you do you ever feel, uh, Andrew? Did you did do you feel that the you um, because maybe the the rest of the world was ahead in terms of the timeline, that maybe the 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 lockdown measures per se were sort of brought a bit earlier? Do you think there? Look, I don't think so. I mean, if you know my recollection of the past month, I think that uh, we certainly didn't have that. Um, you know, theoretical wish to go down the herd immunity concept, which I think was we heard uh, uh, from the UK. We never had any of that. So we were probably, maybe if I recollect correctly, a little ahead in terms of lockdown. Mm -hmm. um, and I think both Australia and New Zealand have, uh, have been reasonably definitive and have the huge advantage that we are an island and everyone that comes in has to usually go through an airport where we can, we can screen them and, and control what they do. Sure. And we have very effective, very effective uh, contact tracing. I think that's a key in that, uh, you know, incredibly difficult to do in the UK, incredibly difficult to do in big, big US cities, but we've had a, uh, you know, I'd say very effective contact tracing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you've, you've sort of alluded, just moving on, Andrew, so you've talked about sort of orthopedic and trauma care. What, what do you feel has changed in terms of that care, both, I suppose, because obviously you have the private and public systems sort of working side by side there. What, what has changed in terms of service delivery, particularly you mentioned about how trauma care has changed? Just a couple of years. You're right. We do have a very separate private and public system. But as of last week, they are now considered one. Right. So the private healthcare sector and our, our NHS equivalent uh, and the government and the providers have all agreed that it's now one system for the duration of this pandemic. So that has a whole range, that means a whole lot of facilities now can open up. And, and you know, and I think, I don't, no one would describe it as such, but we, we, we have a, an NHS, I suppose now, no, no differentiation. Now that's a, only for the duration of the pandemic, we're led to believe. We're not. Sure. Yeah. In terms of trauma, look, no elective surgery. You know, my, 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 you know, my job is, uh, the knee arthroplasty really and you know and i'm one of those people who've been told you know get out of the way and and, and so we're not doing any of that uh, the major trauma centers in melbourne uh, for instance is the one of the major trauma centers the alfred hospital which is also the COVID hospital and there's been a lot less that the ambulance drivers are fairly reluctant obviously to take people there and the rural melbourne which is another you know big trauma institution They've noticed a, a, a decrease in road trauma, as you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, rather sadly, uh, over the last two weeks, um, they have noticed uh, a, their the most major trauma has come from people attempting suicide due to the consequences of the positions they're in. Yeah. And uh, and 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 also of interest is um, the other major increase in trauma at the Royal Melbourne Hospital is. Um, uh, Tongue in cheek, somewhat, but middle-aged men falling off the roof of their house while they're doing renovations, while they're in lockdown. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's certainly something we are slowly seeing here, and certainly from our colleagues uh, in Europe and in Italy, have noticed that unfortunately uh, people attempt to take their own life and DIY injuries, as we call them, of the things that have have just persisted. Mm -hmm. And obviously, our neck of femur fractures has uh, just continued to come, <laughs> uh, no matter no matter what. But in terms of um, you know, in terms of how about your clinic appointments? Has that has that changed? Are you still seeing people in clinic at all, or how how, how have you worked that? Well, we've been encouraged. Um, we've been encouraged to do uh, lots of phone consults, or video consults, and it certainly 
uh, it certainly led to the rapid uptake of these uh, remote, if you like, methods of consulting. Yeah. So I think, you know, when we, when we look by this, look past this in a year, when we're thinking about what do we learn from this? Well, I think it's really hastened, you know, telemedicine, have want to call it. And I think that's going to be a really good thing. You know, you know, we're Australia's a big country and we, we have people that often travel a long way to see us just for, you know, sometimes it's a social call to, you know, to, mm. to see how they're going or, you know, and even people have to travel four or five hours, you know, we can now, maybe review their wounds um, with some sort of telemedicine consult. So we're doing a lot more of that, but we're a little, we're a little bit, uh, you know, our facilities need to improve there. And there's a lot of activity along those lines happening right as we speak. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I think we very, very much the same. And you do wonder whether even when the pandemic is over, whether there will be some adaptation of those systems because they are developing quite, quite quickly um, in terms of remote reviewing. Curiously enough, curiously enough on that subject though, you know, many patients, you know, we, we, we now have only, we have a large clinic. We have 15 surgeons in, in the clinic and, and we have, you know, strict social distancing rules. So we have the, the patients who will stay in their cars and they'll get a text when it's their turn to come in. We have a large waiting room, which would normally accommodate, you know, 50 people. Uh, and now there's only four people in it at one time sitting far apart. Mm. Uh, we take the temp, we take the temperatures when they enter. So, you know, with all those things, you know, people, I think uh, they do like the face-to-face comfort. They still feel comfortable with that. Um, and so there'll always be an element of that, I think. No, no, I totally agree. I agree. If we sort of move on then, Andrew, to sort of, I suppose, the community, your trauma and orthopedic community, your fellow professionals, how do you feel it's impacted on them? And I suppose not just on their working plans, but in terms of, you know, there is a, I suppose a, a fear element with this as well, and you know, and and for their for themselves and their family members, how do you feel it's impacted on 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 things like that? Well, you know, different people affected differently. You know, um, some people, you know, many many most I'd say orthopedic mm-hmm. surgeons, you know, they're you know they're they're type A, often male, egotistical type people, and they're defined by their work often. And, and then it's taken away from them and they, 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 they're not used to being home a lot. And, and so a lot of uh, my colleagues are, you know, admitting to finding it very difficult in kind of know what to do. Busy people now doing not much, they're struggling. Mm. Um, you know, in terms of the younger people who are just starting practice, uh, both publicly and privately, you know, uh, it's, it's stressful. It's the, the young businessmen uh, effectively. And, and they have more like everyone else. They have, uh, mortgages and uh, stresses and and so they're feeling it like the, the rest of the community um so um but yeah that would be the summary there's a great variety you know there's a yeah. you know that we got a, a, a partner in my practice is over 70 and he's pretending he's pretending nothing's happening he's just kind of rolling on and, and, and ignoring what's going on you know what i mean and so everyone manages slightly differently i know absolutely i think that's certainly what we've we've seen here as well and in terms of um I suppose, in, uh, sort of protection for the profession, I suppose, in many ways. What's, you know, one, one theme through our podcast has been, uh, you know, the availability of the protective equipment that's required when uh, interacting with patients and the concern that obviously, obviously in patients who are COVID positive. What, what's the situation in Australia currently with regards to protective equipment and I suppose the availability of testing as well for healthcare professionals? Okay. Taking the testing first, we're, we've become and are a very high testing country per capita. Mm. Uh, I think there's two elements to the testing as far as I can understand is one is the test itself, 
and the technology associated with it. Another is the equipment, swabs, etc., to to do that, and the PPEs for the staff to to do these these swabs safely. We are like the rest of the world. You know, there was there was you can't anticipate this, uh, and and so the Australia is like the rest of the world. We are rationing and being very careful in how we use PPEs. It's been directed and it's been stockpiled, ready for uses in intensive cares and A&E departments like it should be. And so that's why elective surgery is essentially not happening because it's uh, we're saving it for the, the scenarios. There's still a concern that, you know, we're going to get this tsunami effect and, you know, everyone's very interested in our sort of nightly news about, you know, how the numbers are trending. And But we are still expecting uh, a, 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 a bigger volume. Mm-hmm. We're coming into we're coming into winter. You, uh, you guys are coming into summer, so so again, there's some concern about you know the relevance of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so volume of testing high, uh, and I think uh, that's been really important. Mm-hmm. PPEs sh- struggling like the rest of the world. I think supplies of it are now becoming a little easier to get uh, as manufacturing's been able to, to, to ramp up and. And there's been small manufacturing, you know, manufacturing manufacturers in Australia who, who normally manufacture small amounts, have had great assistance from governments and from even the even the the, the, the military to, to help um, mm. increase their their, their 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 manufacturing of these things. Yes. So summary though, same as same as the rest of the world really. Yeah, and in terms of just just briefly go back to testing in terms for your patients, do you have a policy if a patient's admitted to the hospital, do they all get tested or do you selectively test? No, so it's still selective testing, and and I think the you know the prerequisites for who gets a test is changing all the time, um, and I think it's becoming a little more liberal. Uh, it used to be, you know, had to have symptoms, you had to be febrile, la, 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 la. Mm. But I think it's becoming a little more liberal now. Um, yeah, yeah. But the titrating, you know, availability uh, and, of the test yes. and the importance of the test, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And in terms of finally just talking about our our colleagues, have, has there been any um, movement so far? Obviously, in the UK, some of our colleagues have been redeployed to other areas and um, has that happened yet in Australia? And, and where do you think, you know, if, if it did happen, where would we add most value? Uh, no, uh, there's been no redeployment. No. Um, there's, 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 there's strategies and plans um, for this to happen. And, 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 uh, but nothing, as I said, our, our volume yeah. of, of sick people is not there yet. But there's certainly strategizing and, uh, you know, I think consult orthopedic surgeons and, and the registrars are going to have to be prepared to take on the workload uh, that what they would be doing uh, and, and probably the interns and, and the more junior doctors are going to be deployed somewhere else. So people are prepared for the fact that their work may change if we do get this uh, sort of tsunami of cases. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So if, if we just move on then, Andrew, just briefly talk about, I mean, uh, it's difficult to talk about research at a time like this. Obviously, there's a lot more pressing clinical issues, but it is important in terms of how uh, have, have your research practices changed since since the start of this? And certainly a lot of research has been um, very significantly either stopped or trimmed down here in the UK. Uh, and also a lot of efforts and, and money have been put into uh, into COVID research, which is obviously uh, the right and sensible thing to do. But what, has anything changed so far in Australia um, with regards to that? Oh, I think the relevance of it is is, is taking its place. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly clinical research with calling patients back for examinations, imaging, et cetera, that's uh, 
quite appropriately gone to zero. Mm. I think, you know, it is a good opportunity, if you like, for, for fellows and registrars to, you know, put pen to paper and, 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 and but, but I think in terms of the actual activity of research, that's uh, taken, taken its appropriate place, which is in the background. Yeah, no, absolutely. And in terms of, uh, of, of, has there been any sort of thoughts about any COVID-related orthopaedic research that you guys do? Obviously, like you say, your numbers are still small at the moment, but is there anything in particular you feel that would be quite a, an important thing to look at, I suppose, for the future as well? Look, I, I'm, I'm not aware of that. No, I'm, no I, I'm not aware of that. I, you know, I had a conversation today with a colleague and, the, 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 you know, there's some radiology practices here saying that, you know, there's some connection between corticosteroid injections into the joint and risk of COVID infections and managing it. Now, again, I'm not sure of the science behind that, but, you know, that's a something of interest to orthopedic surgeons at this time, especially, you know, when you've got people who are, you know, waiting for elective hip and knee replacements who are really struggling and you want to kind of help them out to get them over the line for as long as possible, you know. So I think, you know, that's the only mm. sort of area uh, uh, that we'd like to know more about it immediately. That's, it's interesting that because yeah, obviously the our current protocol certainly where where I work is that all those uh, steroid injections are currently stopped uh, for that for that very reason. But like you say, it's 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 difficult to know, and it's a lot of it's based on sort of um, I suppose theory rather than actual data. Um, so, I suppose if, just moving on finally, then Andrew to the to the future. Which I mean, it's very difficult to predict, and if anybody could predict it. It'd be a crystal ball sort of moment, isn't it really? But how do you how do you see us moving forward? How do you see you moving forward in Australia in terms of um, how you think this will progress, I suppose, in the immediate future? Um, and then in particular for your sort of specialty, getting back on back on our feet really more than anything? Well, you know, um, yeah, no one has the answer. And, you know, this is a very unusual situation where, you know, we can't go, well, you know, last time this happened, this is what we did. Sure. Um, we, we can't do that and we're all struggling with that um not you know that said i think you know if we can get through this easter period with the population you know could i say awfully behaving and following you know the instruction i would really hope that you know we could get this to a, a manageable level we could lose our fear that 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 our hospital system's going to be overrun and then I think the next challenge will be both in a social way, i.e. do how do we let people out? How do we let the community out? Yeah. Can we have people over to our house for dinner or can we restart sporting events or when should we start elective surgery? That, that's going to be the challenge for these the people who have un unfortunately been elected by us have now find themselves doing something that they were not prepared for and, and in some ways not qualified for to make these decisions. And, and that's what we don't know other than it's going to be a slow return. It, it won't be, you know, 1st of May all goes back to normal. I think that's pretty sure. And I think getting back to orthopedics and you know, elective orthopedics, I would imagine that elective orthopedics will be one of the last things that comes back on going back online yeah no i think yeah i think you're very very right with that and i think like you say i think the fear certainly is here is that if you you know obviously this break has been put on with uh, the lockdown and social distancing is if you take that off too soon you'll just get the, the the spike of cases that you've been trying to avoid so i think i think that's right well uh, i think uh, um that's all we have time for andrew but thank you so much for your superb comments and insights and uh, it's been really interesting to hear, hear how you're all doing in uh, australia and i uh, really do appreciate you taking the time to join us obviously we send our best wishes to you and your colleagues and their families through these difficult times 
Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. And finally, as always, we'd also like to acknowledge and thank our many colleagues around the UK and across the globe for their ongoing uh, untiring contributions in the delivery of care to our patients during this pandemic. Uh, we at The Journal will continue to try and support you all in any way we can. Uh, stay safe and thanks for listening. <laughs>